Good morning, Gombo Freaks in Sector 21 and 48. Good morning to the hill people currently hunting the cattle and the elk and the monkey flesh of the Uinta Mountains. Good morning to the alfalfa farmers of Sector 17. Your production went up last year. That means your Chaco ration does too. Good morning to the space travelers. Good morning to the people that live on the space stations and on the moon. On the sunny side of the moon. On the dark side of the moon. Living with moon people. Having moon sex. They're living in craters. And they're having moon sex in those craters on the moon that are filled with KY jelly. And they're covered in a sexual dome of love. And they have a disco light up above that tells them everything's going to be okay because it's November. It's November. It's November the 18th, I believe, 2021 in the age of the season of, correct me, the holiday season of Boblimtok. Yes, it is the holiday season of Boblimtok, and it's almost Grinkin's Eve. Have you gotten your Red Thursday shopping done yet? Here's what you want. A bit of chain. A pillowcase. Filled with batteries. You want yourself a baseball bat. A two-by-four with two or three nails driven, driven through it. That's right, it's almost... It's almost Grinkin's Eve. Can you hear Santa in his man cave cooking up magic? Little bouncing Bettys. Little IEDs, baby. And his candy cane jab. It's almost Grinkin's Eve, brothers and sisters. In the season of Boblimtok, Red Thursday's right around the corner. You need the right stuff in your bag. You need to get chainsaw gas. You need the stuff in your black van, your windowless van. Your Ford Econoline, 1982. There are no handles in the back for opening the doors. There are no windows. There's a metal grate between your passengers and the driver. 
Yes, Grinkin's Eve is almost here. Red Thursday is so near. On Red Thursday, everything must go. On Red Thursday, everybody's a hoe. If you have cocaine, if you have a brain, take yourself to Robot Spain and find yourself a hooker named Jane, and she'll tell you in the darkness of night that your passion is a dagger in her old skunkly seagull heart. She'll say that she's not really Spanish. She'll tell you she's Portuguese. That's right, she's Portuguese Betty. She's not really Jane. She's not really Betty. She's covered in crabs from the head to the toes. <laughs> yeah, it's almost Red Thursday. You need to get a bag of stuff together and put it in your black Ford Econoline 1984. Back doors welded shut. No handles to open anything, really. Well, maybe not the back door welded. You need that to fake loading it with a sofa. You're going to be hunting. Hunting Grinka's flesh pretty soon. Red Thursday. I know that sounds dark and awfully serial killer. Maybe even a little rapey. That's not the intention. It's more of just that... There are people in this world that really could be driving you crazy. And there are people that are so evil and they are driving you so fucking crazy that it's not that remarkable to believe that you might want to buy a 1982 or 83 Ford Econoline and, and you know, that sliding door, just weld that and, and, you know, take out all the handles on the inside and the back. And make sure that the back door is openable, but not from the inside, baby. And then you go hunting for the scumbags. And I'm not going to tell you who they are, but you know who they are. If you believe in freedom, if you believe in dignity, if you, if you believe human beings have a right to live in a world that is not an insane asylum, you know exactly who these people are. On the other hand, it would be it, it kind of sounds like I'm advoca advocating violence and I'm really not. I will say I am advocating that you, you know, wake the fuck up. Because it is coming down to the question, do you want to be a human being or do you want to be some type of gumbo slave forever wasting away in some sort of disharmonious, dystopian, dysfunctional human reality? I've said this before, I'll say it again. You need food. You shouldn't eat too much. You shouldn't eat crap. But unlike what the breathertarians will tell you, who can tell you you can live by just breathing, you need food. You might be a vegan. You might be keto. You might be paleo. I don't give a fuck. The fact is you need food. Without it, you die. You need water. Without water, you die. The reality is you need water more than you need food in the short term. 
you can live for a month or two without food, depending upon how fat you are and if you have vitamins, right? But without water, you die within days. You need salt. Did you know that? Did you know that you can't just drink water for a few weeks and not have any salt? You need salt. Your water, your body gets depleted of salt. Without salt, your central nervous system fails. Your organs fail and you die. And there's other things related too. But the point is, the take-home answer is you die without water. You die without salt. You die without food. Guess what, skin job? Guess what, nearly nude monkey man? Guess what? Yeah, the aquatic ape, according to lesbian mythology. You need shelter. You're not like a dog. You don't have good fur. And dogs need shelter too, by the way, you fuck. That's why animals build lairs. Places where they can sleep. Places where they can make love. Places where they can live. And it might be a hole in the ground to you, but that lair for that animal, that's their home, you fuck. So you also need shelter. You may not believe you need shelter because of the Fanny Freddy revolution and figuring out ways to pump up the housing market, but you need shelter. Without shelter, you die. I don't care if it's shelter from the sun, shelter from the cold, shelter from the wind and the water. It does not matter. As a living thing on planet Boblimtok, you need shelter. And the reason why I would love to emphasize this point is because we've been treating shelter in kind of a ridiculous way while I've been alive. So absurdly fucking ridiculous that if we treated food and water the way we treated shelter, you know, yeah. You would have warehouses filled with water bottles and food and bodies piling the streets if we had a Fanny and a Freddy for food and water. And that's probably coming anyways if the system can keep going and I'm of the mind that it's already falling apart. That when they pushed the off button in March of 2020, they did what is referred to as abdication. And when you abdicate the throne, when you tell people you're going to push the fucking off button, guess what? The people might be dumb enough to keep listening to you, but they don't have to. And at some point, they will become aware of that fact. And if you're one of those people that push the off button, <laughs> you're going to get your button pushed probably. Let's talk about inflation a little bit more, because inflation can be confusing. You know, for Austrian-type philosopher-type, you know, economists, for the Austrian school of economics, inflation is often simply equated to the printing of money, which means the expansion of the money supply. So let's say, you know, some central bank has... $5 to start out with. There's $5 on the island of Klimklak. There's five bucks on the island of Klimklak. And, you know, maybe they don't print any more. Maybe they print five, and those five float around between the hooker, the baker, and the candlestick maker, baby. You don't know what happens on, on the island of, what did I say, Klimklak? 
the central bank of Klimklak, but you know, yeah. Of course, the central bank of Klimklak convinces the central government of Klimklak that they should also have an income tax. So they do know about the hooker fucking you. So they do know about the baker getting paid for bacon bread. Because they do want to know, but that's a separate topic. At first, you have five of those dollars. Well, what happens when you double the five and now you have ten? Well, think about this for a second. The central bank of Klimklak realizes that five bucks isn't going to make it. People are starting to chop up those dollars and the smaller dollars. That ain't good. They don't want it to face the currency of Klimklak. So now they're going to go to ten total dollars. Their total monetary supply in the simplified reality of Klimklak Island just went from five dollars to ten dollars. They doubled their money supply. According to an Austrian, that is inflation. In fact, the very moment the central bank started printing money, the very moment that the number of Klimklak dollars went from zero to five, you technically have inflation. And it doesn't get better from there. I, I can give you all the statistics on how much of the value of the U.S. dollar has been lost since 1913. But the bottom line is this, a lot, okay, a lot. So much, um, you know, so much, for example, if you translated a lot of ordinary blue-collar, good blue-collar jobs from like the early 70s to today's dollars, you would find these, you know, blue-collar jobs making eighty or $90,000 a year and perhaps more. And that's not happening anymore, not in terms of number or in salary. So when people want to wonder what loss of value in their dollar looks like, it's the fact that you're working harder and harder and you're getting less and less. And yeah, they're tossing technology at you. They're tossing the smart device, which makes you so much smarter. And they're tossing video games and everything else. And lots of really crappy, cruddy entertainment. But other than that, you're really... Your, your cup is getting smaller. Your clothes are getting crappier. Those new Nike shoes that you bought for 150 bucks, they're going to they're gonna melt in a, in a year. That's reality. And on one level, you can call that inflation. You could argue that the loss of value through the simple printing of money is inflation. But let's get back to the island of Klimklak. On the island of Klimklak... They had $5. But then Bobby McGee said, look at that volcano. One day, one day it'll make another island. Further offshore, maybe a, a, maybe a peninsula. Do you know that we could sell bonds for the imaginary future peninsula? We can call these Klimklak bonds, bonds for the future, when the volcano goes off and makes the island bigger. You know, ignore the fact that you live on the island of Klimklak, right? So Bobby McGee convinces the central bank of Klimklak to double its monetary supply, but then Bobby says something really funny. He says, you know what? We've got these weird you know, financial instruments that you can park this money in and it might accrue notional value. But no one's ever going to use it. 
and all of the central bankers of Klimklak listened up. Because here's the thing, inflation in terms of degrading the value of your dollar is the simple printing of money, but it doesn't really get really bad until people take that money and use it. And the thing you could argue is what they've managed to figure out, and I think probably they've done some of this with the, the world of derivatives, but they've done a lot of it with bonds, a lot of it with, believe it or not, pension funds. They figured out a lot of places to put money so it really doesn't get spent, or it gets spent at a low enough rate that it becomes irrelevant. They just figured out places to hide it. So on the island of Klimklak, they took $5, they gave it to Bobby McGee, he put it into the magical Klimklak Expansionary Volcano Land Fund, and now it sits there. Making 1% a year. Even though they doubled the money supply in the space of two years. So that 1% might not be so great down the road. Since the great financial crisis, a lot of the money that the central banks have been printing has been parked money. Not totally parked, not completely parked, but when, let me define what I mean by parked money. This is money that people are not using to buy stuff. This is money that people are not using to invest, and this is critical. I don't care about needless consumption, but in order to have that future they lie to you about, you have to actually invest. You just can't spend money. Corporations need to invest money. So if they get money, instead of buying up their own stock, which is a lot like that Klimklak bond, you know, parking the money, when they got the money in the last decade, a lot of corporations simply took the money, they bought back stock. They bought Klimklak bonds. And by doing so, that money would not impact the prices of hookers, or the prices of coffee cocaine, or the prices of baked bread, or anything else on Klimklak Island or in the United States too much. Now I say too much because these are systems designed by people. And that means they're leaky. That means that they're not perfect. That means that even though the, the scheme was to print money but park it as a way to manage the situation, it didn't really work out the way they thought. I mean, I guess you could argue that Bernanke thought the wealth effect potentially, you know, would lead to some people spending more, but it's not really what happened. A lot of money just got parked. Parked money can exist as long as there's a government that can point a gun at your head saying park this money. This is also known as capital controls. And so when you're thinking about what happens next with inflation, you really need to think in terms of things like capital controls, like, you know, price fixing or, or you know, wage fixing or any of the other price control, wage control nonsense that is likely to come out of the Nixon administration, excuse me, the Biden administration. But whatever they come out with next is going to be the kind of wretched government overreach um, that's really just going to make it harder to push money around without leakage. There's going to be leakage. That's the thing about all this corruption. 
almost by definition, it's leakage. So you got this park money, but now all of a sudden there's going to be regulators and other types of money grabbers. And here's what I will tell you. They're going to take your park money and they will spend it on Lamborghinis and wine and champagne or whatever else they do, but they will spend it and that money will make it out. Okay. And we haven't even talked about the issue of confidence yet. So we're at the stage where things are going to get crooked. I think you could even see the Biden administration do some form of quasi-nationalization of the oil companies. And and I know you're going to say that's crazy, but crazier and crazier nonsense comes out of the the mayor's office, the mayor of Washington, D.C., Joe Biden. More and more crazy nonsense comes from that place every day. Not necessarily reality, a lot more smoke than flame, but a lot of crazy nonsense. And so is it possible just as nonsense that they could talk about nationalizing oil if, if things get too crazy, if the inflation gets too crazy? Sure. Money velocity can be thought of as the rate at which a person, or rather a group of people, exchange money for goods and services in an economy and the rate at which that money flows. So you could think of money velocity as the current flow of currency. But you could also think of money velocity, in my opinion, as confidence. And let me explain what I mean by that. If money velocity is relatively low, assuming some normal natural rate of interest, which I don't think any of that applies in our neo-Stalinist hellhole, but if money velocity is relatively low, one could argue that people are doing, a couple things are true, that people have faith in the currency, number one, and number two, that if they are spending it, they're probably doing more of investing versus consumption. So low, lowish money velocity, not zero, of course, but a lower number isn't necessarily bad. It could also imply that the value of your money is going up. If you don't have to push as many dollars around to buy groceries, to buy cars, to buy other stuff, guess what? Low money velocity can be good for that, can, can indicate that maybe you, your dollar's worth more. That's a good thing. So lower, lower money velocity, not zero, but lower or slower isn't always bad. I think increases in money velocity are almost unequivocally bad. Um, And if you're an Austrian, you're aware of what's called the crack-up boom or or the business cycle as Austrians understand it. And the thing about, um, or I should say credit cycles, the thing about credit cycles or crack-up booms or money cycles is that they start out actually kind of optimistic. Like if you lived in Weimar, Germany in 1925, you might have said to yourself, holy shit, Berlin is awesome. I love my flat. All this new jazz music is softening the Germanic soul. Maybe we can avoid some kind of a-hole, who knows. 1925 might have felt like a pretty good year, at least for a while. There were a couple pretty good years for Weimar, Germany. And then the bad years hit. And the bad years were really bad. And it was about printing money. You know, it's like that famous statement. You know, I always forget the name of the guy, but it's like, you know, how do we stop this problem? And they're standing near the printing presses and he says, make that noise stop. But they couldn't because it was too easy. 
crack up booms and these types of financial monetary cycles start out optimistic and then they get to the point where people don't trust the money and money velocity is increasing. Money velocity increases, in my opinion, as confidence in a currency goes down. It's not, it's definitely not linear. <laughs> throw, lin throw linearity out the window. If we're talking real world, most cases things might kind of look linear, but they're probably not. You're just probably looking at it at too small scale. But that being said, it's not linear, right? But loss of confidence happens in little jumps. Now let's talk about that parked money. That parked money is parked by some real people, let's call them um, bag holders. So there are lots of bag holders holding on to parked money, okay? Lots of them, including people with 401ks. Yeah, pension fund people, 401k people, how can I tell you this? You are managing parked money for central banks. You're managing chunks of, you know, pseudo value, chunks of financial bliss, but you're basically managing zero. A pile of zeros. Yeah. Think of all the 401k holders and all the pension holders. Well, these people are probably screwed because unless you're right now with all the penalties and all everything else, understand this. You know, if you're a 401k person, and you're holding on to it because you believe that dollar cost averaging is not a cult, let me tell you something. You've mistaken a century of disequilibrium as equilibrium. Hit the math books again, okay? So people have been telling you about things that have always been true literally during a period of mathematical chaos. So no, you don't know what's always true. If you have a 401k, if you have any, monetary investment retirement instrument that is currently denominated in U.S. dollars, the smartest move you could make would be to cash out because any value greater than zero is good. And I think these things are going to zero. They're not going to 50%. They're not going to do a 25% write-off. This is not Germany 1925 or Germany 1933. This is April 1945 Berlin. This is the end of the game, not the beginning. Believe me, this is the penultimate Hitler. This is where we're at. So, so, and also, I would, I would contend the reason why Jerome Powell is so nervous and the reason why he's going to get replaced, maybe, but who knows, but the reason why there's so much noise around this issue is because I think they are nervous. I think they are legitimately nervous um, about the money printing. I think they know there's, that there's a threshold and you cross that threshold and then the worst and ugliest parts of inflation come to fore. Because here's the thing, if you can park money in, in Wall Street and, and have it chewed up by Wall Street, if you can park money in bonds and pension funds, if you can park money in derivatives, if you can park money in 401ks, it is effectively inert for, from, a, from an inflation perspective. And if corporations took all that printed money, mostly, for the last decade, and all they did were basically corporate buybacks, yeah, 
They made the decision to make that money inert for, for all intents and purposes. They decided to take that money and not use it for any real investing. If anything, they did more cost-cutting. If anything, they, they reduced the quality of the food you ate. If anything, they handed you recycled beef and chicken and called it fucking tuna. That's what they did with all that free money they got from Bernanke and Yellen and Jerome Powell. They did not make your food healthier. So, yeah, they, they basically dumped that money in these inert piles. What happens? Not when just the 401k people who probably won't wake up fast enough cash out. What happens when the crooked motherfuckers start cashing out? How can I put this? If your basic Illuminati paradigm says these are evil shitheads, well, I'll agree, but I think you can at least propose something that evil shitheads do things for all kinds of stupid fucking reasons. And sometimes evil shitheads are exactly like rats. You know, leaving a sinking ship. They're going to load up their truck. They're going to load up their car with all that Nazi gold. These are really corrupt people, and these people control a lot of inert, relatively inert dollars that have been printed over the last several decades. And we don't know how big that number is. We really don't. Because there's a combo plate. It's not just these inert dollars they have, but it's also their ability to leverage them. So we don't know how much leverage and how much junk dollar crap is about to be injected into the system. Because it isn't just about Jerome Powell, it isn't just about the interest rate, it isn't just about QE at this point. The question is, where do all these dollars go? A lot of people overseas hold these dollars. The Chinese hold these dollars. Of course they hold them in the form of treasury bonds, and of course the treasury bonds earn some type of background radiation interest rate, but it's not as much as you might think relative to real inflation. You know... And if you ask me, they have done everything they could to hide it. And they've been hiding it for years. They did it with Greenspan and his hamburger is really steak bullshit. They did it by basically down-serving and downsizing and basically producing crappier and crappier food and other things. They did it a lot of different ways. They reduced customer service. We'll talk about that in a while. They did a lot of things. You know... And so all of it together, it wasn't just that on the, on the surface that your money obviously got worth less, but what you could buy with your money got worth less and less and less. And that was way before 2019. There is a lot of inert money that is currently sitting out there. And there's still confidence enough in the dollar that people are holding on to it. But when those crooked people start losing confidence, then they're going to dump their treasuries. It's going to happen. And then it's the question of what the U.S. government does. There's different possibilities. Okay? This is not going to be linear. 
Currently, people feel like, well, okay, if it's just 8% or 10% inflation, I can, I can start making meth in the basement. We, we, can, we can do it. We can survive. No, you won't be making meth, you know, biker meth in your basement to get by Mr. and Mrs. Smith. It's not going to be linear. There'll be a point at which the confidence goes almost to zero. And when that moment happens, every little hole, every little pile, every little hidden account where there's a U.S. dollar is going to enter the system. And money velocity will absolutely tell you what's going on. But it's also possible that the amount of money that will enter the system will cause it to choke. Again, I don't think we really know what's about to happen. We use all these comparisons to, to things like Weimar Germany. But as I've told people, Weimar happened during a period of relative continuous historical disequilibrium. Okay, it, you can't really draw really great analogies to anything when you're talking about the period of human history over the last 150 years, I think, at least. Maybe the last 200, but certainly the last 150. It's very difficult to say things like, it's always been this way. Nothing has always been this way if it happened in the last 150 years. Sorry. Yeah. So I don't think we really know what's about to happen. There are people who believe in post-scarcity. And if you believe in post-scarcity, then that literally means there's almost no amount of money that a central bank can print. And a lot of these post-scarcity people are also modern monetary theory people, aka Keynesians or Neo-Stalinists, if you ask me. They're crooked, crooked people. Many of them are into crypto. Because you come to realize that crypto is the dark side of the force since it's connected to the Death Star. Yeah. You could say money velocity is the rate at which currency moves through an economy. You could say MV equals PQ, which is money velocity equals you know, prices times quantity. You could say all those things. Another way of looking at money velocity is as a metric of faith. You know, for you know, it's not a simple metric. You need to interpret it a little. But I would argue that almost every increase in money velocity indicates something frantic going on, something that is impacting people's faith and whether things can simply continue. So what happens when the avalanche of cash that's been building up in those great mountain peaks comes tumbling down? I mean, people like Jim Rickards will tell you, oh, the system is controlled and they'll use an SDR. And other people, oh, it's the Illuminati reptilians or it's Starship Jesus. I don't know what happens next. I'll tell you historically, when these types of crooked empires fall, here are your options. Internal chaos, internal chaos plus civil war, or number three, the favorite, going out in a blaze of glory with warfare. Okay? One, two, and three. I won't tell you which is more likely. Some people would argue that the United States might go out in a blaze of glory and pick any stupid fight, and that would be terrible. But I'm just not sure that the central government of the U.S., the federal government, has that kind of power. I, I just don't think they do. I don't think the president has the power to start a war at this point on that scale. Afghanistan 
in some ways may indicate that. We don't really know a lot of things, too, in this crooked system. If you read the news and you think you're being educated, that's probably not true. That's a foolish notion. You know. We don't really know. I'm going to go to the next topic. All I'm going to tell you is when all that inert money starts flooding the system, that's when things get interesting and really, really nonlinear. You know, the 401k people are probably doomed because most of them, most of those boomers will go down swinging, believing in dollar cost averaging and other weird things that popped up during the period of disequilibrium. They believe this because they believe that nature has a function. The only thing you can say about nature is it's not linear. But beyond that, you can't say crap about up or down, right or left, or any frickin' direction. So the boomers are kind of screwed. They're stuck, but they're almost dead, right? So that doesn't matter. And a lot of people in Generation X said, well, my home's an investment. No, your home is shelter. You need shelter. You probably don't need more than a certain amount of shelter, nor does anyone else. And so when that all shakes out, I think people are going to find out one of two possibilities, that their home is not nearly as valuable as they thought it was, or what's even just as likely, that their home is almost more than worthless because it's an anchor around their neck. They should be leaving the city. They should be looking for food. They should be finding their last way out of town, but they don't want to give up on their notional $8 million in value. And I say notional because that word's really going to mean something in the near future. So the boomers and the X-Gen people are probably doomed. The millennials are not necessarily doomed or not doomed. I think that what goes for them is they're still young, so they could learn, you know, from hard knocks. If life teaches them a terrible lesson, um, despite all their really cruddy public school education, it's possible that a lot of millennials and Generation Z have a chance um, have a chance. You're young enough, you have a chance. Listen, I'm 52 years old, basically, almost, whatever. I'm going to take the ceiling, not the floor. And I don't think my chances are that great. And I didn't think they were that great prior to the monkey herpes and the race war. The odds are even lower now because I look at what has been going on and it doesn't indicate stability. It doesn't indicate anything remotely like that. It also doesn't indicate a direction. So we don't really know what happens next. Here's here's another quote from Dr. Freckles. Here's another quote from Dr. Freckles. This is how the world ends, not with a bang, but with a lockdown.
And of course, that's a that's a reshaping from a famous poem. I always forget the name of the author. I think he was an English author. I think he might have been American. But the point is, there's that famous line from that famous poem. Um, you know, this is how the world ends, not with a bang, but with a whimper. And I think that this is basically what we're seeing in a way. Um, I, I, I stick to my guns on a couple things. Number one, the erratic shape and form of all these military psychological warfare operations indicate to me that they do not control the schedule. Whatever schedule they're working under, they're not in charge. And they don't really know when it ends or when it starts or whatever, however you want to phrase it. That not only do they not control the schedule, they have a very fuzzy notion of when things get crazy. And so when I look at the last few years, and better yet, the last few decades, all of their behaviors are nonlinear. And all of their behaviors indicate that they were preparing for something in the future, but it wasn't that far off. And the closer we got to it, the crazier things got. I think more than a thousand um, chief executive officers at corporations resigned, uh, in, I think in 2018 and 2019, prior to the monkey herpes. Um, if you're not aware, short-term lending between banks that enables things like trade blew up in the summer of 2019, prior to the monkey herpes. A lot of things were going deeply sideways prior to the monkey herpes. Now, of course, I'm sure there's already some shithead, or maybe maybe Michael Crichton is writing a, a book about the time-traveling virus. But assuming the monkey herpes or the COVID-19 bullshit or the corona bullshit, whatever bullshit you want to talk about, assuming the monkey herpes does not have a time machine... It does not explain the shit that happened prior to. Sorry. Does not. So what I can tell from the PSYOPs is that there's some kind of schedule, but they don't control it. And they believe something is going to happen, but they don't know when for sure. So maybe some supercomputer in 1972, Bob Limptock, maybe some Cray computer or IBM looked into the future and said to themselves, 50 years from now, plus or minus E, because, hey, it's math, right? 50 years from now, plus or minus, something terrible called X is going to happen. And it's, you know, it's over. It's over for most people. It's over for everybody. I don't know what X is. Neither do you. And guess what? X could be bullshit also. I mean, people can be wrong. I, I don't know how to break this to everyone, but governments are almost always fucking wrong about everything, especially when it comes to timing. All I know is they don't control the schedule. And so these psyops get turned on, they get turned off, they get spun up, they get spun down. They've got a whole choice of trauma monkeys. If the COVID trauma monkey needs to tap out, the race war trauma monkey can tap in in Kenosha. If the Kenosha trauma monkey needs to tap out, maybe the Chinese murder hornet or the trauma Biden never-ending drama can step in. Maybe July the, you know, January the 6th was really like 9-11 trauma monkey can spend some time on the stage. Yeah. But after Afghanistan, and this is the thing I think is kind of important, after what happened in Afghanistan, 
I think it's reasonable for intelligent people to say the following, if this is what they've been doing. So first you have to believe they've been doing psyops. And you might not, so you can stop right there. You might think the corona stuff is a fiasco or it's kind of real, like using the math of corona, corona's kind of real, and I kind of fucked your mom. Maybe. We don't know. I mean, I'll have to check your eye color. If you don't believe that they've been deliberately um, misleading people, then you should stop right there. You don't believe it. That's okay. I mean, I don't, I can't get there myself. I kind of wish I could because the world would be more optimistic from my perspective. But if you believe any of the following, it's a big accident, it's a big fiasco, it was all kind of fucking random, we're just tripping and falling our way into a trap, it's the big reset, the big butt screw, the big Klaus Schwab, whatever freaking trauma monkey you want to grab onto and hug is your business. Believe me, the Central Intelligence Agency and, and whoever else they were working with had a specially designed trauma monkey for every fucking demographic prior to 2020. So if you don't like the monkey herpes, get away from the monkey herpes and, and give race war a hug. And if you're getting tired of the race war crap bola, why don't you step on over to the Chinese murder hornet? Hey, you tired of that? Did you know cartoonists are racist? Did you know there are 89 million genders? Did you know that God is dead? Prior to 2020, they had a Pez dispenser of trauma monkeys. They broke down the demographic of the people in this country they thought could do anything, and they figured out all your bullshit. And what they also figured out is the number one form of bullshit is some type of hypochondria or germophobia. And that's probably why they settled on COVID being the queen of the ball. Oh, the monkey herpes. Queen of the ball. Belle of the occasion. Every man's love child. Yeah, my tolerance for the monkey herpes rhetoric is zero. Um, I get every version of it now, including the version of where it's mostly not harmful to anybody, which means that probably all these other things killed people, which means it probably did nothing. And yet they still want to focus on how it was created in a Chinese you know, murder lab or something and released or released by the U.S. government. Listen. Yes, I mean, you can tell me and you can describe this bioweapon or this fiasco or this mistake as being mostly harmless. But why don't you take the rest of the journey and recognize that this mostly harmless thing that mostly doesn't apparently exist is probably bullshit. And if, you, if you're not aware, hospitals lie. 
And if you're not aware, hospital-acquired infection is a thing that killed hundreds of thousands of Americans, hundreds of thousands of Americans, every frickin' year prior to 2020. MRSA, fungal, random virus, and the key word is preventable, which means that hospitals got sued. But then comes the monkey herpes, and instead of getting sued, hospitals get a big fat check. I've worked around hospitals. You might want to believe they're healthcare heroes. I put them on the ethical scale with Rusty Randy Rondo, who has a cigarette sticking out of his mouth, running the Rusty Rinky Dink roller coaster at the local Carney house. That's the ethical level of your hospital. So do I think they would take a, a loss and turn it into profit? Yeah. I, I think that's kind of like fucking common sense. Do I think they're crooked? Oh my fucking God. I literally have PDFs of emails from Harborview Medical Center on my website that identify how fucking crooked they are. So I know these things. They're obvious to me. They may not be obvious to you. You might not know. You might not care. I don't care. We're so close to the end. If you need to grab the race war or the commie gender crap, if you need to grab CRT and give it a big hug, if you need to get suckered by the CIA with any of their forms of bullshit, that's your fucking business. It's your ice cream cone. It's your life. If you want to piss on it, poop on it, I mean... You know, between you and I, if you're a Christian, I prefer you just harm yourself, okay? Don't harm anyone else. But if you want to treat your body and your life and your world like crap, if you want to pretend the monkey herpes is real and spread that crap around, not really giving a fuck if people are going to blow their brains out tonight because people have been spreading that crap around, you do whatever the fuck you want to. It is the days of your life and it's almost over. Here's another quote from Dr. Freckles on a theme. If you die from ignorance, if you die from stupidity, if you die because you could have known more but you chose to know less, you die because the universe still makes sense. Let me repeat that. If you die because you don't know about something you should have known, or maybe you literally are the blissfully ignorant and innocent person that had no way of knowing. At this point, I don't, you know, other than the Amish, about the only people at this point, I think, there, there are potentially two groups. There might still be some tribes 
in the jungles, someplace in Africa, someplace in Southeast Asia, someplace in Micronesia, someplace in South America. There might still be tribes that have no electricity, no phone, no connection. They don't have a clue about what all of us stupid motherfuckers are up to. They might still exist. So if you're, and, and I was about to say, so if you're a member of that tribe, but I caught the contradiction and the absurdity myself. So there are those people. And I think they are blissfully ignorant and innocent in the sense that they don't partake of the evil thing. They don't know about the evil thing. If there is a God in heaven and they've been living righteous lives, I pray that he watches over them. And that's the truth. And if the Amish are real, if they're real people and they do askew a lot of modernistic crap um, because they've chosen Christ, then I hope, I pray, Lord in heaven, use your arms, your hands, use the fists of God, use angels to protect these people. So there are some people out there who can truly say right now, I didn't know, I did not care, it was not my business, I had no interest in holding truck or commerce with the Death Star, and therefore if it blows up and it kills me, well I guess it was going to happen, but at least I did not participate in that, and that is one thing that is true. And that is where the, the true innocence comes from. You could argue that the kids are innocent, but people always say that, and people keep having the kids. So I kind of think that that's a weird situation. I think the kids are innocent, and the kids should be protected, but that's the job of the parents. That's not my job, okay? If I have a kid, it's my job. It's not my job to take care of your kids. And if no one told you that, if no one told you that it takes a village might be some sideways commie bullshit, if no one told you that the only person you can really trust to look out for your kids is you, well, okay, I guess you're innocent. But I don't think that's true. I think throughout your life, you have had the option to examine your dependency, your learned helplessness, your faith that the people that make the Tylenol must know that it's okay, the people that make the cars must know, you don't need to know what's on the inside, just drive it. Fine. I think you had opportunities, if, if you're one of those people. And so this quote applies. Listen, if you get erased by reality because you had a chance to be prepared for something and you chose not to, that just means the universe works. I will tell you something. In 2015, I made the choice. I decided in 2015, more or less, that I was going to just enjoy my life. I did not think in 2015 that there would be much around in 2025. Sorry. And I wrote essays about this and I podcasted about it. I don't need to show my limited street cred because we're going to talk about GoDaddy next. I think. If you die from ignorance, you die because the universe still makes sense. If you die from ignorance, in a way, you're basically justifying the wisdom of God. God created a, a rational universe. It's a fallen world. It's a world where things fall apart. It's a world where you don't get to live to be a billion years old. It's a world with all kinds of sharp edges. It's also a world with a lot of beauty. God created this world. The fact that the world has consequences is good. And if you're lucky enough to survive a consequence, then you have a chance to do something so critical to every intelligent living thing. You have a chance to learn. 
Every time you face a consequence, every time you zigged instead of zagged and you managed to survive, you have a chance to learn. And if you live to be a ripe old age, and I don't mean 52, but let's say you're 100 years old and you've managed to live to be 100, you've learned a lot. Or you're a lucky old crazy bastard, probably. And maybe a combination of the true, right? Yeah, maybe both. Maybe both are combined. You're a lucky old crazy bastard and you're probably wise. But if you have a chance to learn about something and if there's evidence in front of you that this is the way things are heading and then you choose to protect... Let me give you an example. I was having lunch with a friend back in 2019 and I told this friend I thought there was a good chance that we were basically a few months away from the Christian church being driven underground. Now, I, of course, my friend, a good person, listened. And, and this is 2019, folks. So if you didn't meet me till 2020, this does not apply to you. This is a friend from Seattle. Let's just leave it there. I said, listen, as we ate our tacos, within the next year, you will see the Christian church driven underground. Now, look at all the weird lockdowns again that coincide with like, I don't know, Christmas. Look at all the weird Pope stuff that's been going on during the monkey herpes. Look at all the contradictions, all the lies. Look at who worships what. I think that prediction was dead fucking on. I said the Church of Christ, the real Church of Christ, would be driven underground. Not completely underground, driven underground. That's a process, that's an ongoing thingy. And I think I nailed it. Not that I think I'm special. Lots of people were saying the same thing. And we didn't even see the monkey herpes yet. We didn't even see the shape and the form of the fear campaigns yet. We just sensed something dark was coming. So if a person is still going to their wretched, mask-wearing, statist, 501c3 Christian church at this point in 2021, and they knew, and they had evidence, and they had observation, and they can think for themselves, and that church takes them down the road of, well, basically the devil, that's on you. People told you. If you ask me, the vaccine is a lot like a training process. And this is where... Some of the New World Order reset people are right, I think. I'm a Christian. I'll tell you where they're right. Um, I think the vaccination, in many ways, is the most important training process prior to the arrival of the Antichrist. And now I know I'm sounding crazy. This training process is simple. How many people will take the vaccine because some nutty-ass dog torturers tell them to? This is an interesting fucking question. This isn't the Milgram experiment. This isn't a hypothetical. This isn't a bunch of college students pretending to be prison guards or Nazis. This is reality. How many people will take one or two or three or more of these wretchedly stupid, completely unscientific, thrown together at the last minute, Bill Gates blue screen nonsense? I would have hoped the answer would be almost zero, maybe not zero, just like 20%, right? But they tell us now that it's 70% or 50% here. They say that 90% of the people are vaxxed here. You know what? Those numbers might be bullshit, brothers and sisters. That might be the devil lying. 
Do you ever think that when they tell you that half of everybody or three quarters of everybody's been vaccinated, that maybe they're trying to trick you into getting vaccinated? Did you ever consider the possibility that the entire campaign is bullshit? That maybe even the vaccination itself is bullshit? I'm not saying people aren't being killed. You can't have a good snuff flick without some, you know, broken eggs. But it's still a made-for-TV movie. It's still bullshit. Well, maybe not for normal TV. But TV in hell. This would be the movie of the week in hell. This, this COVID bullshit. If you die from ignorance, it simply means the universe works. I know that's mean and I know it's cruel. I know it's hard because it happens to everybody. I accepted in 2015 that if I lived my life the way I wanted to for the last 10 years of my life that I would probably end up dead no matter what happened. And I accepted that because it's my fucking life. I didn't have kids. I didn't have dependencies. Didn't have a cat or a dog. And as far as my family goes, what I have learned in the last 10 years is really quite simple. I love them. We were born of the same mother and the same father. But they have their own fucking lives. They're adults. They raise their own kids. Their kids are mostly adults. And most of them worship at the altar of the monkey herpes. I think the vaccination was a test. I, I don't even know that it's designed to harm anybody. In fact, in some ways, the, the psyops around injuries might be on purpose just to see how much they could get people to take the vaccine. Like, you know, the devil's saying, well, listen, you know, lots of people might take it, but what if you throw out scare stories like this happened or this happened? See if people keep taking it. And it could be preparation. It could be that whole boy who cried wolf thing. You know, the vaccine injuries could be a lot like the fucking coin shortage bullshit or the toilet paper shortage bullshit. A form of crap designed to basically convince you that when it really happens, it's not real. Oh, it's not real. It's not really happening. Here's what I'll tell you. When the mark of the beast shows up, some really spooky shit is going to happen. And they need to numb people down to that. They need, to, they need to get people under control when that spooky shit starts happening because it's going to happen. There are going to be people who at the moment of the choice will say no and they will be attacked and I believe Jesus will, to the extent that Jesus can, will help. I think he will. I think there's going to be moments where people choose to do the right thing and there are going to be a lot of martyrs. And, and when these martyrs are killed because they choose to not take the mark, there will be angels, I think, that bring them up to heaven. So you need a lot of psyops to cover up this stuff. You need, as I've said in the past, to carpet bomb the third eye. You need to obliterate the third eye. You can't allow people to have an access to information that they do not control. They control the internet. Frankly, as much as I love shortwave and radio, they still kind of control that too. They control all the forms of standard communication, but they do not control those forms of communication that go beyond what we understand. And, and you can call it the third eye, you can call it ESP, whatever you need to call it. People have been noticing things through that information source. And people have been saying things based upon that. They can't have that. 
And, and they achieved some of this goal, some of the goal of bad food. I think destruction of the pineal gland is one of their goals, but it's not bad food doesn't take them all the way. What takes them all the way are all these wretched psyops. It overloads. It's like a, it's a lot like a denial of service attack on the third eye, if you want to think of it that way. The shadow side of all these psyops is a lot of psychic pain. Okay, if you don't understand what I mean by psychic pain, understand that people are killing themselves because of all this bullshit. People are overdosing on drugs because of these lies. If you're one of these motherfuckers who wants to tell me that you wearing the mask is harmless, okay, fine. But the reality is you and a bunch of other people are scaring the fuck out of people to the point of death. And whereas the COVID might not, you know, is probably bullshit, the suicides probably aren't. I'll let you read. I have a link in the notes to the thing, you know. Germany preparing to impose Austria-style lockdowns. I'll leave you to read that link. I'm not really interested in beating this dead horse too much more. Um, I thought about something you could write. You know, the whole, this is the way the world ends, not with a bang, but with a whimper. Here's, here's what I think you could, the epitaph could be. Here's what you could write on the gravestone. We should have. Oh, no, let me think of this. Okay. We needed to believe COVID-19 existed more than we could believe in ourselves. On the, on the epitaph, on the gravestone, what's etched there on the gravestone, we needed to believe in the COVID-19 more than we could believe in ourselves. nonsense, all the commie fear nonsense, all the BLM Antifa, Andy no clue nonsense. We needed to believe the race war and the monkey herpes and the chud. And we need to believe all of it because it was just too hard to go beyond. It was too hard to ask the question, is it possible the hospital killed my grandma? Is it possible they're lying to us about these vaccinations and about the virus? These were difficult questions. It was easier just to believe the fear. And now we got this Rittenhouse trial and we're almost, you know, we're almost at the end, man. Here's what I'll say. I don't know this for certain. I don't really trust any of the information I'm getting right now from any source. But let's assume that some features of the Rittenhouse story are, are real and not manufactured because the whole thing could be bullshit. I just don't know. If, and, and this is the question mark, if they control the jury, if they control the judge, if they control the decision, then the Rittenhouse thing, even though it's in day three now of the jury, um, you know, reviewing the case or whatever, even though the, the jury has been going on actively for three days, 
I think this is one of those, you know, psyops in the pocket. When Afghanistan happened, and I've said this before, I'm a broken record, but when the fall of Afghanistan happened, it seemed like the moment that not just one, but two or three Fonzies were jumping the enclosure where the shark was. It seemed so ridiculously over the top that it was hard to manage. It was hard to imagine the deep state, the CIA, you know, the, the people that form that Bernays laboratory of mind fuckery, it was hard to imagine we weren't close at that point because it was just so awful. The way the whole thing was managed was so stupid and so awful that it would simply be an open wound until the end. So the end must have been near, right? Maybe. If the Rittenhouse thing turns out this way, like let's say Kyle, the, the jury comes back and Kyle in some material form is let go. I don't care if it's, you know, mistrial with prejudice. I don't care if it's not guilty. If in some form Kyle is let go, that means the groundhog is going to go back into the hole. And that also means a little bit more race war. And it means we're not there yet. Because they don't really need the race war stuff for any other purpose than they need the COVID stuff or the monkey herpes other stuff or the Chinese murder hornet cartoonist or racist 89 billion gender stuff. They don't need that stuff if we're close to the end. If we're close to the end, it's over. It doesn't matter. Um, but, but again, they don't control the schedule. So it's a little bit of Kentucky windage here. And I think the, the Rittenhouse trial might be the PSYOP version of Kentucky Windage, in a way. They, they don't know for sure, so they're going to give themselves some time. So maybe, maybe Kyle ends up being guilty, and if he's guilty, in some form, he goes to rapey jail, rapey suicide jail. And that means, you know, we're, we're pretty close. We're probably close enough that you can measure it in terms of how long will it take Kyle to put together an appeal. Like, how many days does that take to get to court? Maybe it takes a week. Maybe it takes two months. However amount of time it would take Kyle to appeal the decision, I think that's the amount of time we would have until the end. But if they let Kyle out, if Kyle goes free, and, and based on the evidence, if you believe the whole story, Kyle should never have been arrested, okay? He did nothing wrong. He defended himself against a violent pedo and a violent rapist. What he did, if anything, he almost deserves, like, you know, I don't believe in government, but hell, they hand out those Presidential Medal of Freedom Awards to all kinds of douchebags. He probably deserves one of those. Although, since he's not a douchebag, he'd probably reject it. The point is, he should have never gone to jail. So in terms of the evidence, he should not be in jail. There should not be a trial. He should be out, right? So let's say they let him go. That does mean that the groundhog goes back into the ground for a while. And that, that means there's going to be Red Thursday sales soon. Red Thursday sales in Kenosha and Seattle and Portland and L.A. You know, 100% off. Fire sale prices. Everything must go. Everything must go. It's a fire sale. Only a few more shopping days left before Grinkin's Eve. Yeah, a fire sale. 
So if Kyle was let go, it's good for Kyle and it's kind of good for us in a way because it probably means they want to turn up the temperature on the race war crap, maybe. We don't really know. I, I think Afghanistan was ridiculous enough and I think these spinning up of the COVID again around Christmas time is, is so silly that I think that maybe we are very close to the end. I felt about a year ago I would be surprised if I was still talking about this today, and so I'm surprised. I am. I'm surprised the plates are still spinning. I'm surprised people are still LARPing and doing the hokey pokey. I'm surprised there are people I used to respect still sending me emails or, or sending out messages about how many shots they got. Very surprised. But what does it say in the Bible, brothers and sisters? You will not know the time of day. You will not know the date. You will not know. It will be as a thief in the night. You will not know. When it comes to your own personal mortality, you won't know. When it comes to the destiny of the human race, guess what? You won't know for sure. Yeah, there's prophecy. And prophecy does serve a purpose. And in some cases, you could even say prophecy can serve a purpose for navigation, maybe. But prophecy in many ways is ultimately a reification of faith. It is the recognition that you were told by somebody at some point in time that the Christian church would go underground. And then it happened. Now, I, for one, am not a prophet, brothers and sisters. I'm just an old gumbo freak. But I do believe there have been prophets and they have told us things. They have warned us. And these things did happen. And the worst part about it for every Christian, especially Christians and Jews, is that we can know these things will happen and there is every probability there is nothing you can do about it. If this is the quote-unquote end times, if, if this is the, the final act of the Christian epic, before what happens next, if this is the, the end of the dispensation of grace, I think as they call it, um, we're not going to know. We're not going to know for sure. But when it does happen, prophecy will be a buttress to our faith. Prophecy in many ways is not intended to tell you what will happen. Prophecy is the way that the Lord in heaven can lead a breadcrumb to lead you back to him. That's prophecy. It is a trail. It is a way back. I'm a really terrible Christian. I know my faith has been on the edge in recent months. But I am telling you, prophecy probably won't tell you when starship Jesus shows up, a.k.a. the Antichrist. It probably won't tell you the meaning of every verse in Revelation. There's a lot that prophecy won't do for you. But one thing that prophecy can do once the darkness falls, once it's clear where we're at, prophecy can lead you back to God. Prophecy was always a map, except for people thought it was a map of time. No. Prophecy was always a map of faith. And that's why you got to be really careful about declaring when you think the end of the world is. I don't think or know or have any information that we are in the end times. What I do believe is true is that they have been lying to us on a massive scale about something. 
and I don't know what it is. And what I also believe is true is that the longer a lie lasts, the worse it's, I think you could argue that the longer a lie lasts, the worse it is the thing it's covering up. I think you could argue that. Think about Germany, West Germany, post-World War II. West Germany, post-World War II. I said West Germany because for those of you who were born 15 seconds ago, there was an East and West Germany during the Cold War. Think about West Germany between 1945 and 1965. That was a period of time of repair. That was a period of time of healing. That was a period of time of industry building back. That was in many ways, and it became an optimistic period of time. But it was also a time of denial. And every year that went by when people pretended that something didn't happen, it didn't make it easier to talk about. The Holocaust wasn't easier to talk about because people pretended it didn't happen. It wasn't. And I don't want to get into Holocaust denial or whether or not the state of Israel uses the Holocaust thing as a weapon. I think that the Holocaust could have been very real, probably was real, and at the same time, it's used as a bludgeon by certain groups in this country to justify the state of Israel. Both of those statements can be true, and probably are. But with respect to West Germany, West Germany and its ability to deal with the Holocaust did not improve because people pretended longer, because they hoped that if nobody talked about it and nobody mentioned it, it would never come up again. In many ways, if the German people had embraced the truth right from the beginning, much of the nonsense around Holocaust denial and the way in which it's used as a never-ending wound would never have happened. But that didn't really happen. Not really. Not in the sense of, you know, you could say that foundational sense where every German was kind of aware this is what happened. That's a roundabout way of saying that terrible shit that is covered up by lies does not get better the longer you wait to tell the truth. And in this particular case, the longer this nonsense lasts, the longer the shutdowns and lockdowns and on again, off again, Florida's open, but this place isn't open, the longer this nonsense lasts, the trauma drama of Trump and Biden and January 6th and all the other race war nonsense, the longer this lasts, the worse it looks from my perspective. I'm sorry. That does not imply it's the end times. But what I'm telling you and you need, to, you need to think on is maintaining multiple psychological warfare operations for longer than a year on billions of people probably doesn't portend anything good. Next topic. Oh boy. So I have been a customer of GoDaddy um, since I think 2010. And it's been on again, off again. I'm not their biggest client. That would be ridiculous. I don't have a lot of money. The money that I've paid GoDaddy to have my site up and operating probably is nothing from their perspective. But for people that don't have a lot of money or for those of us that were living in the real world the last 10 years, whatever money we had was important to us. 
you know, as a countervailing theme to the topic of inflation. Whatever meager bucks we had to spend on a website, that was important. And during the first couple years of being on GoDaddy, I got to say, I thought their technical support was pretty good. Um, I thought their uptime was pretty good. In general, I was happy. That's why I kept paying them. And perhaps it's the boiled frog thing. Perhaps it's the fact that the last 10 years has been a mess for me and a lot of people. But I kind of stuck with that dysfunctional relationship. And eventually I came to the conclusion that it was possible that no matter where I went, um, these little dark clouds would follow me. One thing you need to know about my website, it's very basic. Other than the WordPress site that my friend said we should spin up a year or so ago, my basic website is so flat, so basic, so simple that there is almost no reason why it should ever be down. If you go to imsully.com, it sends you to a basic PHP script. That script only does one thing. It basically just lists the contents of MP3 files in that directory. And there's not that many yet. Probably never will be. So that page should always be blazingly fast. There is zero reason. If you come back to me and say, well, Dan, it's because you're running on Windows. Well, listen, buddy, even if that made a difference, it would not in this case. For a non-trivial case, sure. But for something this trivial, this basic, just content delivery, just a list of files in a directory, it should be blazingly fast. In the last year or so, my simple website, and this doesn't include the WordPress site, my basic site there has been down multiple times, um, incredibly slow at times, and it almost seemed like that if I wasn't checking it and nobody was checking it, like the tree that fell, if it didn't make a noise, there was probably some script that shut it down. Let's think about sampling theory, okay? Let's say you have a, a situation where you have a staff of technical support people and you randomly pick a time and you randomly pick a day of the week and you get some particular tech support person, fine. What's the likelihood that on the next random day and random hour, you get the same person? If they have a big staff, like if they just have one or two people, then the likelihood could be great. But boy, that tells you something about GoDaddy too, doesn't it? But if they have a big enough staff, what's the likelihood that you get the same person, different day a week, different date, different time of day, what's the likelihood you get the same person? That's not that great. What if you get the same person three times in a row? And it sounds like drowsy Jim from the back alley who's been drinking too much, you know, closet hooch or bathtub wine and sounds like they're waking up half drunk using their Goober app because listen, there's Uber, but now there's Goober and Goober allows any old dumb fuck to do technical support because it sounds like when I call GoDaddy, nine times out of 10, I get some Goober who's just waking up from being drunk and has a list of excuses and that's what they do. That's how they problem solve at GoDaddy. When I first got on their site, way back when, their actual technical support people were more than just helpful. They would actually do things. They would actually do things to help you. Let me read you something from, from one of the screens on GoDaddy today. If you want to reset your account, which means you want to go from Windows to Linux, right? You can't undo this. You can't undo this. 
You can't undo this, this is done done forever. Who in the world of IT that gives a fuck about ordinary customers sets up a workflow like this? Who? I understand that you can't keep copies of everybody's shit, but an intelligent person would set it up so if a person wants to do something as radical as essentially resetting their whole fucking website, you might allow them to simply keep a backup of it, right? An image of it. It isn't that big a deal. But that requires customer service. That requires more money. That is one of the ways in which they can hide the inflation by treating you like shit, by giving you less. So all the things about how they can solve it's irrelevant in this neo-Stalinist hellhole. It is not going to happen. So the other night I was pissed off. I figured, you know what? If I can't get my money's worth from GoDaddy, I'll get it one way or another. And so I used their little chat app, man. What a rinky-dink little chat app that is. There's a number of ways they could have protected themselves from what happened the other night. But again, it would require intelligence. It would require people who understand you know, programming. This is not true of GoDaddy for these. The people doing Goober, technical support for GoDaddy, are meth heads and street hookers, people they find in Bangladesh, some person in Mumbai who just got done chopping up a a family on holiday and dumping their body in some river, that's who uses Goober. And so that's your technical support. It'll take a second for them to wash the blood off their hands. So I was really pissed off. And so I spent most of the other night, which would be, I guess, Wednesday morning, really, between 2 and 4 a.m., I filled, I did a bunch of the chats and I called them cocksuckers. In fact, that was the predominant message that you guys are cocksuckers. I called up their technical support and I reamed them out. And if you want to tell me that I was being a jerk, you need to fucking understand something. That is the only option we have left. That is it. If I want to get my money's worth from those crooked motherfuckers, the only thing they're good for now is I can waste their fucking time. And I can treat them exactly the way they treated me. You don't like it, GoDaddy? Whatever. So I got an email from what is ostensibly the office of the CEO of GoDaddy. I don't even know if this is real. This could be some rinky-dink bullshit. Brothers and sisters, did I tell you you live in a kaleidoscope of lies? Dear Daniel... Dear Daniel Sullivan, just like the nuns in Catholic school, buddy. It has come to our attention. It has come to our attention. You have made concerning statements to our customer care representatives, which we must investigate. While we understand these remarks may have been made out of frustration or even in jest, GoDaddy has the right and the obligation to protect its employees and its facilities. We must take these issues seriously. Our office will be reviewing your recent interactions and account history in depth. 
The findings of this review will determine the status of our future business relationship with you. In the interim, if you have concerns or concerns or feedback to share, please feel free to share them in reply to this email. Thank you for your cooperation and understanding. Regards, Office of the CEO GoDaddy, CEOteamGoDaddy.com. There's not even a name of a motherfucker here, and I am too tired and too done with this bullshit to give a fuck what neo-Stalinist commissar is currently running that rinky-dink shitty company. When I was a kid, if a customer had an issue, a good business, a business that wanted to conduct good business, would want to understand why. I have been on the phone with GoDaddy Technical Support almost two, it seems like two or three times a week. Maybe that's a bit of an exaggeration. But for a company that claims, what, 99% uptime? Way too much for such a simple fucking site. I have been on the phone with them multiple times in the last few months especially. Multiple times in the last couple years. I get bullshit answers. I get excuses. I get patronizing crap. I get lies. Please, Office of the CEO, do your fucking investigation. Take me to fucking court as if there's a rule of law. If there were a rule of law and we were allowed to do full discovery, I think we'd end up in a class action lawsuit and a lot of people that have been paying GoDaddy money would sue your fucking ass, cocksucker. Another thing I said, I pointed out that Gandhi probably was racist, a pedophile, you know, and a rapist. And why? Because actually when he, you know, did his work in South Africa, he said a lot of racist shit. And he's been known to sleep with underage girls when he was alive. So yeah, I said that too. And I'll stand behind it in a court of law. I posted dick pics to their chat system. I posted posters. I didn't give a fuck. Fuck you, you coward. It's funny, the nun of GoDaddy puts my name in the email, but the nun of GoDaddy doesn't have the fucking courage to put his or her name there, whoever the fuck that is. That tells you every fucking thing you need to know, brothers, sisters, people of reason. That's it. This email from this whatever it is, I don't even think it's real. I think it's probably crap, but let's say it is real. There's no courage there. There's no real name there. Office of the CEO, that's the vaguest fucking bullshit possible. And the reality is, you know, they could continue to do the stupid shit they're doing. Here's what's really funny. About the time I got this stupid email from this wretched company, my website's performance started getting better. In fact, it got to the point where it was behaving what it, you know, way it should behave. Now, is it possible that some motherfucker got off their ass and went out to the fucking server farm and found out that maybe there was something wonky with the server? Who the fuck knows? I don't know. It's also possible that in a couple days, the performance will go down again and they'll keep mind-fucking me. As far as doing business with GoDaddy is concerned, talk about problems in the rear view mirror. 
What I went through yesterday and the day before was my own recognition that Dan has not gone through all the Kubler-Ross stages yet. As much as I talk about letting go of the bullshit, as much as I talk about the crap you need to just look away from, I found bullshit that still pushed my fucking buttons. And maybe it's as simple as I paid them money. And I expected something for my money, but then what do you get for your money, brothers and sisters, in a neo-Stalinist central banker hellhole? You never know. You might get poop. And if you think it's tuna, you might be surprised. Might not be tuna. I don't know. You know, I don't know. I mean, and here's another thing too. So here I am. It is Thursday. Right around 11 a.m. If you don't know from listening to my podcast, maybe you do. Um, I don't talk about it that often because it's a lot like talking about cancer or frankly the monkey herpes or anything else. People have problems. Sometimes it's useful to talk about them and maybe even podcast about them. But in general... I don't want to talk about it too much because a lot of people suffer from this. I suffer from depression. That's what they call it. I don't know if it is something else or if it's exactly what the DSM V4 or 5 would tell you, but what people call it is depression. And in recent weeks, I've had a really bad bout of it. I mean, not so bad that I'm totally immobilized, not so bad that I'm not eating. I mean, <laughs> that would never happen. But bad enough that I haven't been able to get work done. Um, last May, I started a project on something, working for a really cool dude. Uh, and he, frankly, deserves a world and um, people he can find in that world to work on his projects that's better than what he found. A friend of mine pointed me in his direction, and my friend's a cool dude, and, and, he's, and he, listen, he did everything right, and... It could have turned out different. What I, what I didn't realize is how bad my depression would get. What I didn't realize is how much I would just hate almost everybody. And the problem with this project is it requires me to engage with the thing that is making me depressed. It requires me to connect with the beast that is sowing lies. I don't need to say too much about it. It's related to finance and economics. That's all you need to know. But I can't really do the project without turning on that part of my brain that knows that what I'm really doing is fucking a corpse. And I don't care if you want to fuck a corpse at this point. It's your business. If you want to do that, spend your days getting dirty, getting that last house flipped, uh, trading that last derivative. You want to fucking mine Bitcoin, you keep fucking that corpse, but I'm done with it. Done with it. I don't know what happens next, but I'm pretty certain this corpse is, you know, a corpse. It's done. It's over. You know, if you can't smell it yet, you will soon. And I've, I've been pretty depressed. And, you know, I've got a meeting tomorrow. And... You know, when I started getting depressed this last summer, I had the common sense to talk to my boss a little bit about it and, and take a concession on pay. Because it's only fair. If I can't get the work done, I shouldn't get paid for it. But this last invoice I turned in, in my opinion, maybe it should have been zero because I just didn't get the work done. 
And I'm tempted to just say, no, I can't do it. And I'm talking about it probably because why not? What the fuck does it matter? I want to be able to have the heart in it to do it. The problem is the part of my brain that allows me to write code is the same part of my brain that reads and thinks and reasons. And the more it thinks about what's going on with the corpse love, the more it hates life. Sorry. You know? And corpse life seems easy. It does. It seems really easy. But eventually it won't be. And who knows? Maybe, maybe it'll take a thousand years. Maybe it'll take a hundred years. We just don't know. That's what my people who travel here in spaceships tell me. They tell me the secrets of the universe, baby. From beyond the stars. Next topic. But yeah, as far as GoDaddy goes, we live in a strange time. And spending two or three hours calling a bunch of um, Indian workers or Malaysian workers cocksuckers and defaming Gandhi and posting dick pics... I don't know. I don't know if that's against the law yet. I don't know if they're going to send the coppers. But who the fuck knows? And guess who doesn't fucking care? I don't. Okay? I was fucking the corpse early Wednesday morning. I w that's what I was doing. You could say I was being obnoxious. You could say I was harassing. No. You could say I was trying to get my money back from being fucked. No. I was fucking the corpse, just like a lot of other people. And it's really not that satisfying. And being angry at the corpse isn't that satisfying either. I mean, it might be satisfying to be pissed off at Joe Biden, but when you realize that he's nothing, that he represents nothing, that even on a good day, he probably barely has the authority to manage Washington, D.C. in any, any way, and probably not even that, when you understand who and what he is, you realize being angry is being angry at the corpse, and there's no point. Corpses have no feelings to hurt. Corpses are done. They're dead. Shaking your fist at a dead body returns no money. It doesn't. And we all know about beating a dead horse. And I'm not sure you should beat horses or people at all. But certainly, even if beating a live horse worked, Beating a dead horse does nothing. So, next topic. Yeah, I, I just, I'll, before I go, it's fuck GoDaddy and fuck the office of the CEO. I, I sent him several emails calling him cocksucker. I backed up my files, but again, backing up files, that's such a fucking 2019 thing to say. Why does it fucking matter? We will be lucky if any of the technological extravagances, extravag extravagances or extravagant technological um, miracles keep working in the years ahead. We will be lucky if a lot of this complexity keeps working. I think a lot of it's going to fail because it was never based upon anything than crookedness. It wasn't. If you dig down deep enough, you'll find crookedness. If we actually had a free society, I don't think we would be facing the problems we're facing right now, but that's kind of related. It's, it's logical. If we did, we wouldn't be where we're at. But we're where we're at, you know. We're here. 
And all I know about governments and Death Stars is eventually they explode. And all I know is when I smell the state of this Death Star, it smells rotten. It smells pretty close to being either dead or nearly dead. Yeah. Next topic. In a time of race war, because who knows if Kyle, if Kyle was let free for killing a couple of dudes who weren't even black, so that's funny. But in a time of race war, if Kyle is released, here's some quotes to remember. Here's some important facts. Hit the auto parts factory, hit the auto parts store, go to Napa, load up on engine kits, Load up on catalytic converters, baby. Hit the auto parts store, but burn the library. There's cash at the auto parts store. Why would we need the library if Kyle's let free? If Kyle can wander the streets, not guilty, not guilty on all charges, wouldn't that be nice? It'd probably be true too, right? Then the BLM Antifa gutter freaks will cover themselves in KY jelly and run through the streets of Kenosha, setting stuff on fire and beating old people to death with bicycle chain and bats and pillowcases filled with D-cell batteries. They will hit all the auto parts stores... Those catalytic converters and batteries, they're worth a lot, bro. In a time of race war. If Kyle is convicted of being white and male and owning a gun, he will be sent to rape prison near Blinkton, Not far from where those black kids murdered that old man last week. (laughs) Was that racist? Well, it's the race war, baby. Just warming up. The jungle freaks, after rubbing diesel fuel on their junk, they'll run half-naked through the city of Kenosha Looking for young flesh. Looking for young flesh. Young flesh to violate, to ravage. While drunk on malt liquor and smoking cool cigarettes. Menthol, please. BLM shock army jungle chiefs are already forming up in the alleys. They are bloody... They're bloody and angry. They're calling out for demon powers. 
so they can chase the daughters of Kenosha into the dark woods to ravage them. They are beasts. These BLM, these pedos and rapists, and scuzz dealers and swamp monkeys. Yes, indeed. I expect to offend a lot of people with this podcast. We need an army of Kyle. Time to take them out. Come on, trash man. BLM rape gangs are moving out today. Get ready, baby. All across America. They are drunk on whiskey, wine, and old dread pain and notions of regret felt for others but not for you. They are ready to beat and whack, to bugger boy and destroy. They will have at your women and your dogs and your cats. They'll steal all your diesel fuel. They'll steal all your diesel fuel to rub it on their nads. Rubbing it all on their nads, that diesel fuel. That's in the time of race war. In the time of race war, do not hide in the library. It may seem like a good move. In the time of race war, don't hide in the library. They burn the library, but you can hide in the bookstore. Because it turns out, in the time of race war, the bookstore confuses them. They be like saying, why you pay to read? They won't see you at the bookstore. The commies will think you're at the library. in the library. They'll burn it. Don't hide at the auto parts store. They're going to ravage that place and steal everything. Probably you too. But you can hide at the bookstore. They cannot see the bookstore in the time of race war. Drager folk bring forth the malt liquor and cool cigarettes. Scream General Mumbada of the 4th BLM Shock Army near Kenosha. What first, asked his XO. Well, we go to O'Reilly's. We'll go to O'Reilly's, replied the general, as he pondered rubbing diesel fuel on his junk and then chasing the old white people to the ravine so the rats can chew them up. Black-clad freaks carrying bats and chain, 
meth in their brain. Yes, meth in their brain during the time of race war. Done with life, looking for strife, looking for great deals on catalytic converters, lithium batteries, looking to burn books and rape and destroy. Oh boy, it must be grinkin' time in the time of race war. Jorgis clan freaks, wandering desert realms, jungle madmen with clutch fists, Carrying banners. Carrying banners. Carrying banners and knives, and they are looking for a steal. BLM Antifa will feign regret as the old man is beaten to death in Kenosha. Not far from, you know, where that lesbian couple was raped and murdered by those black kids. I sure hope I piss some people off. Dan, are you racist? I'm really racist. How very racist. I am the most racist person in Utah. Now, I'm saying this because I don't actually hate black people. I don't hate people based on their color. I think that's kind of ridiculous. But I do like to find out how sensitive people are to bullshit. Because during, if anything, during the COVID monkey herpes, during the race war, I found out that people are really sensitive to a lot of rinky-dink bullshit. So I'm going to push your button, and because I think racism is stupid, and because I think judging people by the color of their skin is nonsensical, I'm going to say this shit because you should, we all should, be able to fucking handle it. We should be able to handle discussion, debate. We should be able to handle people getting angry enough to yell at each other. All of these things are better than physical violence. If someone tells you that words are the equivalent of physical violence, Here's a little test. Here's a little test. Go down to the bar with the motherfucker who says a word is equal to violence. Bring your fucking baseball bat. Say to that person, okay? For a thousand bucks. No, for ten bucks. For ten bucks. Make it simple. For ten bucks, I'll say something mean to you. Or for ten bucks... I get to swing at your skull with my baseball bat. Think on this, brothers and sisters, especially you Herbert Marcuse, neo-Marxist scumbags educated at Columbia. You're sitting in a bar with a baseball bat and ten bucks. And you say to the Marxist, you say to the commie freak, you say to the lit clip professor who just wrote her, you know, essays on Deleuze and Guattari and other kinds of feminist bullshit. You say to this motherfucker, this censor, the person that believes in things called hate speech, you say the following, here's ten bucks. 
You can get up and walk away. That's a choice. Get the fuck out of here, okay? Or I can go away. You can take the 10 bucks. And if you take the 10 bucks, we go in the back alley. And one of two things, you're going to let me do one of two things, not both. You're either going to let me say some harsh words to you for, I don't know, a minute. Really harsh words. Might use the C word. Might call you a bad L word word. Might sound really homophobic. Might sound really racist. For one minute, for 10 bucks, I'll say the nastiest shit you can fucking imagine. Or I get to take my bat and swing at your head as hard as I can. Now maybe because you went to Columbia or you went to Harvard so your brain doesn't work quite right or you went to Yale. Maybe you're too fucking stupid to make the right choice. Most rational people I know would choose to to listen to some shitty words for 10 bucks for a minute. That's actually not bad money. People listen to nasty shit being said about them all day long for free. So 10 bucks seems like a fucking deal to me. But I don't know anybody, unless they're suicidally depressed and don't really understand that they probably won't get killed by just one whack, I don't know anybody who would choose the baseball bat. So when people say things like, words are like violence, Dan, what I'm going to say to you is you're full of fucking shit. And you're part of the fucking problem. And the reason why we're in this fucking mess is because of intellectual cowards like you. And I got a deal for you. Ten bucks. Just one fucking swing. Or shut the fuck up. During the time of race war, they play pretend. During the time of race war, you celebrate Grinkin time. And you can hear it. You can hear the jungle animals. They're licking their chops. After the second race war, all the Strigan League Hagum witches will be made to humble themselves before the Tragus men of Region 6. Hegan slaves from China will be tossed into the taco meat vat. Japanese sand whores will be made to rub oils on their boobs all day long. After the second race war ends. After Boblimtok. After the second race war. By the end of the tenth race war... People will be covered in metal spikes. The spikes will be sewn into their flesh. These metal spikes will be fused. Fused with their bones. People will be covered in metal spikes. By the end of the tenth race war. Love will be pain. Pain will be love. Undoria, the last queen bitchstress of Sector 99, she will lead an army of lesbian spear chuckers and other cloven banshees. 
used to late night shopping at Target after the husband has passed out from too much beer. In the year 5066, after the unification of the three remaining Whitey tribes by the robot queen of Denmark, a leader of the POC clans will rise up from the gumchy zones of the last foraging areas where lamprey rats feed on babies just after they are born. This leader dude, this leader guy, he's going to ignite the pursuit of catalytic converters again, yeah. People will hunt for tires and wheels and chrome. After the peace of nutting in seven eighty in seventy eight eighty seven when the cybernetic time pope is caught abusing android children behind the digital sacristy. When the Jubilean Hokane women dance naked before grand spotlights and swarthy black men run oils on their boobies. In the time of race war, this is when all the race war crap ends at the peace of 7887, the peace of nutting. So many died in the race wars, really. But let's go back to the present for a second, because we're, we're dealing with the present time, the time of the early race wars, the first, the first Congoglites, the first... Sklibden folk, the first chud to crawl out of the sewers. We're dealing with the first phase of me versus you versus him versus her. It's going to be crazy. 8,000 separate clans, all vying for kingdom control. Control of the nuclear bombs for what? But, you know... As far as Kyle goes, Kyle Rittenhouse, I believe one day he'll be known as the trash man of Kenosha. Statues will be built, altars to his action, altars to his will. Sure, the drogan freaks of New York City will complain, as they always do and hurl insults upon the pyre of eternal lies. Sure, the witch wardens, the witch wardens of Nesbit, they will not relent in their infernal attacks. But Kyle shall be known as General Kyle, and his army will cleanse the land of trash 
It is the age of Bo Blimtock, a season of hope. Master races vying for mastery. Whore armies stealing milk for crying babies. Tax men strung up with piano wire. And those that have pure blood and will, they shall be the grinkin' army of the future. Can you hear the voice? Can you hear the voice of Hort? Cried Fuhrmaster Gergen. Standing before his throng. The chieftains were assembled to wage the last battle of Trobe against the BLM Antifa monkey freaks living off of chestnut wine and fried crickets. You will feel the steel, cried Gergen. And at that, Gergen raised his sword and uncleaved his Joris piece. He, masta- he massaged, he manipulated and massaged his scrunctus. He repositioned his junk inside of his codpiece. His Joris piece was flat. In order to understand the different race wars, you have to understand the nine dimensions of standard racial destructuring. The first is Lotus Eel. It's a very important spot. You find some rebar. Lotus Eel is painful. The second dimension of racial destructuring is Sphinctus. Sphinctus. Sphinctus is the understanding that what you think you know is not what you know, and what you know is what you should have known about that person that knew everything. The third dimension of racial destructuring is the ray of sunshine. It is the reminder that happy days are to come. The fourth dimension is glass smoky. Now, for those of you familiar with Pornhub, that's also a sexual position involving various types of bong pipes. The fifth dimension is called Raven's Turd. It's a connection with the organic device systems of Mother Nature's internal love touch. The sixth dimension of racial destructuring is orgasmic suffering. The seventh dimension is trailer park massage. The eighth dimension is barbecue. And the ninth dimension is watermelon, just to be kind of racist, right? Corizia, the countress, she's got an army. She's got an army and a jet and a bomb.
Carizia, the Countress, she's got an army, she's got a jet, she's got a bomb, and a knife hidden under in her panties. She began planning for the race wars when Abraham Lincoln was still hunting runaway slaves in the territories. She's ready for the Napa Auto Parts experience. Her BLM and Antifa shock armies will tear through Kenosha front lines. Only bookstores offer safe harbor. Listen, in the time of race war, you can be a mountain flower. You can get angry and scream. It's up to you. This thing resolves itself. And Kyle becomes the high country regulator. Yes, Kyle becomes a high country regulator. In the time of race war, Kyle hunts mountain cat and the eagle skunk. And he lives according to his own ways. In the time of race war, can you wield a pillowcase filled with D-cell batteries? Can you carry a wooden bat wrapped in chainsaw chain? Are you willing to peer into the throat of hell to pull out the tonsils of destruction? Then join my Klagen Funk force and run through the streets screaming profanity and yelling and being mean and stealing the Nissan Jukes. Yes, in the time of race war. Um, you know, before I close out, I just want to say this. If I offended you by using words in a certain combination, I did that on purpose. If you feel so hurt and shocked that you want to send me a mean email, I don't give a fuck. I am telling you straight up that if you go into that alley, and I've, I've used this, this thought experiment before, but I'll, you know, in other podcasts, but I'll mention it again. If you go into the alley and you choose being hit in the head with a bat over being like, you know, somebody yelling mean words at you and you can put your hands over your ears if you want to, or you can just walk away, you know, but you don't get the 10 bucks. If you choose the bat over every other option, then I don't feel sorry for you. The universe is not that crazy, okay? The universe is not a simulation. You were not born in Eden, and life has consequences. So if you go into that alley, and you would prefer to get hit over the head than to hear a bad word, then I don't know what to say, but what happens next was going to happen, and there's just nothing you can do about it, and don't cry over spilt brains. Is what I would say. If we wanted to defeat all these psyops, all of this manipulation, if we wanted one chance in hell to have control over our destiny as free, dignified people, we have to reject it. Okay? We can't say to ourselves, well, damn, the COVID is kind of real. No. If the COVID is kind of real, according to your sideways math and logic, and your assumption that the healthcare systems don't lie, which having worked in them is a huge, gigantic assumption. But fine, fuck it. If that's where you're at, fuck it, okay? 
But the first thing, if you really do want to be free again, you have to throw it all away. You can't pick parts of it. You can't pick the parts that make you feel better because somebody you could have helped, somebody you could have counseled, somebody you could have been compassionate towards who is no longer with you because they decided to jump off a building, guess what? It's hard to confront that. But if you want a chance in hell, you got to. If we wanted a chance in hell, we could reject all of it. And if you're a Christian and you said to yourself, well, Dan, what if, you know, what does this mean to me? Listen, it means the same thing. Reject the lie. But as a Christian, you also know this. You know that even though it's prophecy, it's not a, it's not a calendar, but even though it's prophecy, you know that in the end times, this will be the state of the church. This will be the state of mankind. You know that too. So... I think that right now there are a lot of people who need to hold on. You know, back in the 90s, there was this weird phenomenon that some people noticed. And it was weird because during the final stage of the Soviet period, or at least you could say that third and final phase, um, you know, roughly in the 70s, 60s, 70s, and 80s after Khrushchev uh, was gone, a lot of people, you know, had given up on the system. They were totally disenchanted with communism. So having this particular portrait on your wall would have been, you know, shunned. And then there's the secret speech by Khrushchev. So having this portrait on your wall would be shunned. And that's the portrait of Stalin. But back in the 90s, there was this weird phenomena amongst the communists in the former Soviet Union of pulling out these portraits of Joseph Stalin. And a lot of people were confused. I, I wasn't that confused. I wasn't that confused because I saw a lot of tyrannical crap through the lens of abuse. And people that are abused behave exactly like this. People that are abused have these types of dysfunctional behaviors. They're going to pull out that portrait of Stalin. And, and they will do that not because it's intelligent or wise, but because they have run out of fucking ideas. A lot of people right now have negotiated to have certain trauma monkeys. You know, I want the COVID trauma monkey. I want the BLM Antifa trauma monkey. I want the World Economic Foundation Klaus Schwab condos for the governor's trauma monkey. But what I would tell you is that all you're doing is negotiating for fear. The best answer would be to throw it all away. And that includes climate change, by the way. I don't know for certain what's going on out there, but I do know they're lying to us. So that also includes climate change, that, that nebulous, vague, impossible-to-define thing that they never quite explain. And people will hold on to these things. And as I've said in previous podcasts, you're probably holding on to rocks. And as, I, as Dr. Freckles has said, if the outcome for a bad decision is death, that's just because the universe works, I'm sorry. If you want to be constantly and consistently rewarded for doing bad things, the only likely outcome is that things will just get worse. See the American economy, okay? We keep avoiding pain, thinking that you can in fact avoid it and then it just goes away. It doesn't go away, it doesn't. 
You can come up with all the crazy theories you want to, but all those consequences are there. They're underneath beds, they're in treasury bonds, they're sitting in derivatives offshore. There are trillions upon trillions of dollars worth of consequences ready to hit the United States pretty fucking soon. And it's not going to be linear. It won't be, I went to the store yesterday and a chicken was five bucks and the next day the chicken was five seventy-five. No, it's going to be more like you went and got the chicken, the next day the chicken was ten times as much, and by day three there's no fucking chicken. Sorry. That's way more likely than some steady, miserable stagflation. But God bless the optimists who are telling us that the worst case scenario is stagflation. God bless you. That's a nice thing to point towards because you can have lots of fantasies in that world. Listen, those were the Farrah Fawcett 70s. Three's Company, sexy disco. That's not all bad, right? Anywho, this is the end of this super long podcast that probably drove you completely insane. I haven't done one of these in a while because why? I've been putting my podcast in little jars labeled radio. And even if I end up back on radio, I'm not going to live in little jars, baby. Done with that. And as far as depression goes, here's some advice. Keep a list of things that make you happy. If you suffer from severe depression, keep a list of things that are reasons why you wake up in the morning. I don't know your list, okay? But it's a list of real things. And if that list ever gets close to zero, reach out to somebody. I don't know if there's an easier way to to deal with this than that. Reach out to someone if your list gets close to zero. These are, this, this is a messed up age we live in. And there are people that I believe are terrible people, and I would feel no sadness over them going away. But I think most people are just like me, not perfect, not not perfect, just ordinary people trying to survive. And a lot of people suffer from depression right now, and being gaslit on a planetary scale does not help with mental illness. How can I put that any other fucking way? In fact, you could say it's counterproductive. If you're out there and you suffer from depression, keep a list of things that make you happy. Keep a list on a piece of paper, not on your computer. Do yourself a favor of marking things off that list if it no longer makes you happy. If the list gets close to zero, probably before it gets to zero, try to reach out to somebody. Beyond that, I don't know what to tell you. I do a lot of self-medication. I do a lot of barely getting by. I do a lot of struggling and I do a lot of just meandering my way towards inevitable death. I guess you could call it, maybe there's a better word for it, just muddle through, right? muddle through. You muddle through this. Your brain doesn't work right. You can't focus. You can't concentrate. You muddle through. You do what you can every day. If you're a Christian, you pray. If you're not a Christian, give praying a chance. Open up a Bible. I am not in a position where I feel like 
I have a right to say this, but there is safety in Christ. There is safety in Jesus. If you can give up a lot of this crap to Jesus, and I don't, I haven't figured it out yet, brothers and sisters, so if I had an answer, I'd tell you. I know part of it's prayer. I know part of it involves meditating and reading the Bible. And I know part of it involves understanding the Bible and trying to live according to what you think God, and specifically Jesus Christ, living according to what ways Christ would want us to live. I don't have simple answers, but I can tell you this. Christ does not want you to throw your life away. Christ does not want you to harm other people. Christ isn't happy when you say mean things, but Christ is probably less happy when you do physically bad, irreversible things. Beyond that, I don't have any good ideas. I would say you could form a racialist clan. You could call yourself the Stinkmen. You could call yourself the Danish Grungies. You could form the Irish and the Scottish and certain Celtish Welsh gangs into frumptic hordes. You could carry bats and chain and swords. You could walk around the streets beating each other up and nothing will be accomplished. And it's even possible that the people you should be directing your pain towards are watching all of it on TV hundreds of feet below the surface of the earth. You can form a racial clan and you can go to hate. And you can blame this on gay people or black people or Jewish people. You can blame this on everybody. But it turns out it's people, people. It turns out that there is nobody to blame but pretty much every fucking wretched human in a way. That's closer to the truth. Not that there's some magical group of people that's responsible for it all, but that human beings allowed themselves to be enslaved and human beings are allowing themselves to be gaslit on a global scale. And that human beings would rather pick the easiest cognitive fight. They would rather blame their neighbors. They would rather blame their community. They'd rather blame homeless people or poor people or any minority than accept the possibility that maybe we're being lied to. Maybe we're being fucked with. We'd almost rather have a race war than accept the possibility that the race war is bullshit. And I will say this again before the end. Too many people on planet Earth have way more faith in COVID-19 than either themselves and if they're Christians or God. If you place COVID-19 on a table, next to it you placed yourself, and then next to that you place God. People would rather have the COVID-19. I don't have all the answers as to why. You could say that evil is insidious, and that's an easy answer that tells us nothing. You could say that, well, this is the end times, and I don't know, so that's not an answer I look to right now. It could be just as simple as convenience. It could be just as simple as it's harder for intelligent monkeys of all colors, shapes, and sizes. It's harder for hairless, smart monkeys to give up a bad paradigm. It is harder for them to do that than it is to starve. So they would rather starve. They would rather starve. They would rather die of thirst. 
And if it sounds like I'm describing a cult, well, here's the definition of a cult. Another definition. A cult is a paradigm that is no longer functional. That's it. A model of the world that doesn't help you, but in fact harms you, is probably a cult. And if it takes on a form or it has a leader and a dogma and some little tiny Greta Thunberg that runs around the world freaking people out, you know, while doing God knows what, that's a, you know, that's a bigger cult. But the basic core of most, most cults, when you think about it, from an ideological standpoint, the core ideology of every cult is some paradigm that can no longer help you. In fact, some paradigm that might in fact kill you. And it's hard to give up paradigms. I mentioned Thomas Kuhn in a podcast, The Structure of Scientific Revolutions. If you have time to get a paperback of that, I recommend it. It's not a long read, but it is a worthy read. Thomas Kuhn, The Structure of Scientific Revolutions. He is the person that coined the term paradigm shift. And he'll tell you what I'll tell you. Right before, right before the world changes, People do go crazy and they hold on to their old beliefs, bare knuckles, bleeding. The paradigm is more likely to kill you in the future than anything else. Your bad paradigm is more likely to kill you than not being like super kung fu guy. Your bad paradigm is more likely to kill you than not having enough storable food. Your bad paradigm is more likely to kill you than any other problem you will face because your bad paradigm will make you blindsided to every real threat in front of you. What did I say about the GoDaddy rant? That's a problem from 2019, motherfucker. So I, I can preach too, but clearly I'm still you know, blindsided a bit by bullshit that no longer matters, really. Bad paradigm will make you blindsided and you will not see the real threats in front of you. And if you're like me or, you know, Harry Truman, not the president, but that old man that lived on Mount St. Helens. If you're like me and Mount St. Helens, Harry Truman, and you're aware of all the risks, but you're decided that, you know, whatever, it's 2015 and the world looks like it's heading a certain direction and I would rather just enjoy the last 10 years, write some books, write a little bit of philosophy, do some podcasting. I'd rather do that than anything else for the last 10 years of my life. If you look into the abyss and you're responsible for no one, if you're like Harry Truman with your 17 or 20 cats on the top of Mount St. Helen, you know that the volcano is going to explode. You know that you'll be hurtling towards space. If you know these things and you still make a decision, to live on the volcano. That is your choice. That is not ignorance. That is not folly. That is a choice. You didn't accidentally die. The volcano did all the fucking work. It's okay to accept the fact that best case scenario, if we're really, really lucky, a lot of people are still going to die here pretty soon. I am, of that I'm certain. Even if these aren't the end times. Perhaps... So many are about to die that a lot of people won't be able to just make it to deal with it, really. I think that that's true. I don't want to scare people. But I think that we've been looking at the wrong problems and now it's just too late. Now we're basically faced with reality and 
The government won't tell you about reality. They'll tell you about all kinds of bullshit, but they'll never really tell you what's going on. Um, I think that there are some hard times ahead. Best case scenario, if you're over the age of 50, the times are going to be so hard that life expectancies will probably go back to like, I don't know, 1870s levels. And if you happen to be 70 years old in the year 2055, you'll be a really, really old person and really lucky or really fucking wise or both. I don't want to scare you. I don't want to lie to you. I, I think that we are on the precipice of something and I don't think what's beyond it is any good. And also, I don't think it's avoidable. And if you want some advice from an old crooked Irishman to anybody else out there listening, live the best parts of this life that you have. Okay? Be aware. Be knowledgeable. Be, and if you want a chance to survive whatever's coming, be flexible up to a point. You should have principles. I have principles. I follow principles derived from my Christianity, and I follow principles derived from my own school of hard knocks, you know, um, experiences with anarchism and libertarianism. I have principles around freedom and dignity, and I will hold on to them. But when it comes to food, with the exception of cannibalism and murder, when it comes to things that you have to eat or drink, when it comes to where you're going to live, when it comes to whether you're going to abandon your home in a city, a home that just 10 years ago they said it's going to be worth $5 million in 2035, when it comes to abandoning your home, you better be willing to do it. Or be like Harry Truman and acknowledge the fact that you made a choice to put your life at risk. But do so with your eyes open, is all I'm saying. Accept your situation and accept the possibility that whatever is about to happen is going to happen. And there is zero you can do about it. You can be flexible. You can be rational. And if in a situation you can help, you can help. But you will not change any of it. And if the, if the question is, well, could we have avoided it? Well, that's irrelevant now. But here's what I will tell you. We could have. It's just that the human race, not because of specific races or genders or any of that bullshit, the human race made a series of bad decisions, in my opinion. And we ended up here. And if you want to know where those decisions started, you can go all the way back to the book of Genesis. But my favorite spot is 1 Samuel chapter 8. And I summarize in a way that maybe God won't like. You get yourself a king, you get yourself a government, and you're going to get fucked. Have a great rest of your day.